0: Father, you are the carrier, the originator, the one who blesses with wisdom. And we had asked that this wisdom would be at the forefront of our minds on a regular basis, that we would not make decisions based on feelings or attitudes of others. But Lord, we had asked that our attitudes and our feelings would be based upon your word, that we would reflect upon it often, that we would dive into it when we seek for answers. That we had not trust our own ways and our own experiences. For we know that you are faithful and true, and that your word provides life and direction. So, Father, as we get into it this morning, we pray for these things life, direction, and wisdom. In Jesus' name, amen. So Paul had been given this particular ministry in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, ministry of the gospel, delivering it to the people, and he said he had received this through God's mercy, as we covered last week, and he encouraged those who were ministering with him to not lose heart, and those who he ministered to, to not lose heart. And why might he lose heart? We covered this. Uh, because of opposition from both the outside and from within the church. And there were also three things that Paul did in his ministry that apparently others were not doing, where he renounced secret and shameful ways. Paul also and his fellow ministers did not use deception, and Paul and his fellow ministers did not distort the word of God. He spoke the truth. He did not mince words. He spoke plainly so that everyone could judge in their own hearts if what Paul said was true and then he goes on in verse 3 and says even if our gospel is veiled it is veiled to those who are perishing and we talked about those who cannot see the light of the gospel first the Jews they have been blinded for a time because they rejected Jesus when he came and presented himself um, to the nation of Israel, <clears throat> but there are those who also because of their sin and iniquity they refuse to love the truth and they turn away from the truth. It says actually in verse 20 of John chapter 3, everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light, <clears throat> excuse me, for fear that his deeds may be exposed. Uh, and back in verse 5 in chapter 4 of Second Corinthians, it says, for we do not preach ourselves but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Christ's sake. For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. So Paul's motivation was laid out. It was nice and clear. He wasn't preaching for his own uh, self benefit or aggrandizement, but it was Christ who was preached and not the, the ministers themselves. They are servants of Christ and for the sake of Christ. And back in verse 7, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not us. And the whole theme of that is simply to emphasize the inadequacy of those who deliver the gospel that we are in jars of clay. And back then, a jar of clay was something that was very common. It was in every single household. They were very brittle. They were broken all the time. There was a, a, several trades in any one city that would just make these clay pots. <clears throat> and that's what the gospel is considered, considered to be within when it comes to the true minister of Christ. It isn't a, a tin of some type. It isn't a metal a canister of some type. It isn't made of gold. It doesn't have jewels and sparkling items all the way around it because that would distract from what's inside. And so Paul makes this point that really any true minister of Christ considers themselves nothing. And the weaker they become, the more Christ rises in the eyes of the individuals who hear the gospel. So I think that's why God uses um, older preachers that they realize what's going on. Not all of them but they realize what's going on. They understand the world of sin, and they decrease, and Christ increases. And I so appreciate some of the men who have gone before us that have preached the gospel in this fashion, considering themselves nothing for the sake of the gospel. And also those who have gone around the block like Paul, so to speak, Uh, they understand that we have been granted the privilege for suffering for Christ, those who give the gospel. And, of course, that's what Paul had done on several occasions. Now, when it it comes to these pots of clay, you know, I I often wonder, why did God choose us to carry out the gospel when all of us are so frail? We are, are so broken on the inside? And, of course, I've already said that it's this idea that he would want to be uh, lifted up in the eyes of others and not the vessel themselves. I get that. But, you know, when God gives his Holy Spirit as well, and and we're going to get to that as a deposit guaranteeing the things that are to come, he places himself inside of us. And he says he's going to do that forever. So he says, I'm going to take this clay pot and I'm going to live in this clay pot forever. Forever. Not just for a little bit. Now he's going to perfect that clay pot. But he's in with us now. And that, that's certainly a mystery why God chose to do that. Now Paul and his companions were under tremendous pressure. In verse 8 it says, We are hard-pressed on every side but not crushed. Perplexed but not in despair. Persecuted but not abandoned. Struck down but not destroyed. And here the idea of being hard-pressed in the original language is Paul was being hunted, and he was he went from city to city, and there were Jews who were after him to try to get a hold of him, arrest him, stop him from giving the gospel out and in acts chapter twenty three we know that there were forty men who took a vow not to eat or drink until they killed Paul, and he was living under that constantly. Now, how would you operate if you knew somebody was after you constantly? they were looking for you wherever you drove you would be looking in your rear view mirrors constantly you'd be looking out your side windows you'd be looking ahead you'd be nervous all the time you'd probably go get a concealed carry permit and carry that around with you you'd make sure that all the doors were locked and that those locks operated properly you'd put sticks in the windows the dowels you'd probably get bulletproof glass in your house if you knew people were after you all the time paul didn't have that luxury He'd be on the road. He'd be staying in somebody's house. It wouldn't be his own residence that he was in. He was gone almost all the time. I don't know that he had his own residence to go back to. We're never told that, oh, and Paul went home. He was never in that category of being in home. And so he was constantly in fear. He was uh, that somebody would hunt him down. And so he says he was hard-pressed, but not crushed. He'd get home and go... Survived another day. This is pretty good. Of course, I don't know what the night brings, but I survived another day. And perplexed means flummoxed or bamboozled or stumped. It's like, why is this going on? I just don't understand that. But it was not to the point of despair. And then persecuted, but not abandoned. That Christ was always with him. He's always showing him the way and struck down, but not destroyed. You know, Paul was stoned. And some people say, well, he probably didn't die i think he died and god just said you're not done yet get up and and so he had to get up and the way that they would stone somebody now not all the time but if somebody was sentenced to being stoned they would raise this platform up and there would be one person with a stone and they would take this stone so that they had the advantage of being above the person and they'd throw the stone and if it hit them on the head and they died nothing else was done if they didn't die, they took a stone that two people had to carry and dropped it on the individual's head. That's what they would do. And I, I know you, you think about that and you go, what a brutal way to live in society. And it was. You know, look at us now. We get so offended by being called a name. And, and we can't... But I just saw this video of a woman who got so upset went into a mcdonald's where her boyfriend was eating a hamburger and she took the hamburger out of his hand what are you doing you're eating an animal and she took it and she threw it on the ground she was so offended that her boyfriend would be eating a hamburger back then you know it was a rough area to be a rough time to exist and to carry out stoning or crucifixion or being stabbed with a sword it, it was brutality everywhere and in the united states here we claim to live a civil existence, and also in many parts of Europe, that's the same thing, but there's brutality all around the world. Uh, Recently, there was a a man who was beheaded uh, because of some things that he did, and it was in the news, and those things are just the reality, and Paul was living under that constantly, thank the Lord, that we don't have so much of that today that we are experiencing, but he was hard-pressed, perplexed, persecuted, struck down, but not crushed not in despair, not abandoned, and not destroyed. This is not just because life is hard. This is because of his witness for Christ. How much less would Paul have suffered if he had just stayed quiet? He wouldn't have had any problems at all. Even if he believed that Christ was the way to heaven, if he just remained silent, he would not have had any opposition whatsoever, but he chose... I'm just going to keep on speaking i don't care what the consequences are and if i die hey christ is gain that's the way he looked at it so verse 10 says we always carry around in our body the death of jesus so that the life of jesus may be revealed in our body so again it's christ died we need to have that same attitude. We need to die for the sake of God, for the sake of the others, getting the gospel out there, recognizing that Jesus willingly died. We should do the same. If we die to self, we can save many. But a lot of times we don't want to reach out. We don't want to give the gospel. We don't want to be a witness because we are fearful of those who are around us, what they might say, what they might think. Um, if... Maybe you've been witnessing before and you've been called a Jesus freak. Well, you should consider that a badge of honor uh, if that is the case. So going on in verse 11, For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. So the more his attitude is the more he dies personally, the more life is given to those who are around him because they see Christ, they don't see him. So although it may apply, he is not referring to dying to self uh, in, for instance, your marriage. Although it may apply, he's not really referring to anyone in here dying to themselves in their job or in their relationships. What he's referring to here is dying to self in their relationship with Christ and doing his bidding. That's the context that is delivered so verse 13 goes on to say it is written i believe therefore i have spoken with that same spirit of faith we also believe and therefore speak because we know that the one who raised the lord jesus from the dead will also raise us with jesus and present us with you in his presence all this is for your benefit so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of god so what he is saying here is he's following christ and he has the spirit of god in him which enables him to speak but because he is aware of the one who raises people from the dead he is able to do so with more effectiveness and then thanksgiving goes back to god You, you see his motivation here it isn't something that he does just out of rote responsibility something that you've learned to do He has it on the inside. This is his desire. This is direction in life. He is not so focused on his own personal existence that he forgets and neglects his ministry to others, giving them Jesus Christ. And so this Thanksgiving flows to God because of this. This motivation is eternal because God raises people from the dead. So it's like the focus, the finish line, which is before us. There's so many distractions along the way. You know, this, um, uh, the Delmar Fair used to be called the Delmar Fair. Now it's the San Diego County Fair, which we didn't have, uh, this last year. As soon as you walk in, how many distractions hit you as you're making your way to the back? I there's, hats to the right, there's purses to the left, there's trinkets to the right, there's, there's little plants to the left, there's coffee to the left, there's all of these different things and all these lights are flashing everywhere and all these flags to cause distractions and you just want to get like down to the end maybe you're you're up at the entryway and you go back and you say you know that ferals, it's down on the left hand side all the way down at the end where they feature families food fantastic found fantasies for frolicking fun filled festive families that is over on the left hand side you can go get a hot fudge sundae over there and i just want to get there but there's all these distractions as you walk through we are heading towards christ towards heaven and there are all these distractions that are off to the side now you can look, you can gaze at them as you're going by, but you say, I know where I'm going. I know what I'm going to do. I'm not going to get sidetracked. <laughs> Same thing happened to Patty and I once we were going uh, down to Cancun, Mexico. And we were in the airport and we're walking through the airport and there's All these distractions as you go through the airport people calling out hey come on over here I want to talk to you a minute and come on over here they want to give you things they want you to listen to a timeshare presentation and there must have been a hundred individuals walking through the airport that that wanted to talk to us and one of them it, it caught my eye I go Wait a second. I want to see what he has to say. Patty grabs my arm and goes, come on. And, and, you know, we're walking out and then we had to find our shuttle to get to where we had to go. But there's these distractions in life that are there that want to prevent us from reaching the goal. And, and we get distracted. We take our eyes off of the prize and we're supposed to keep looking forward. So no matter what it is, whatever hobby you might have, whatever interest you might have, It's fine, have a wonderful life, but keep Christ in focus where you're going. And whatever you do, whether it's your job, your hobby, or your marriage, or your family, you still keep Christ in focus. This is why you're doing what you're doing. This is why you're raising your children with an eye shot to morality. This is how we're supposed to act. This is how we're supposed to live. And not only your children, but your grandchildren as well. And so going on here, it says therefore verse 16 we do not lose heart now this is where he started in verse 1 he says we do not lose heart he he got this ministry through the mercy of god but then he closes it up again it's like bookends he has the bookends what was in between you have this ministry you're following christ you know where you're going there's the resurrection of the dead you're a clay pot you must decrease. Christ must increase. And because of all of this, you're going to run into seeing Jesus Christ in heaven in all of his glory. And your body's going to be glorified as well. So he says, we do not lose heart because he has his focus in the proper place. Though outwardly we are wasting away. Can I say amen or hear an amen? Are we wasting away? Oh, yet inwardly, we are being renewed day by day. And I understand what this means, but inwardly, I feel like I'm failing day by day. It's like, what's, oh, why do I have that pain over here? But spiritually speaking, we are renewed. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Now, this is a man, let me tell you what he has gone through. Prisons, beating, stoned, shipwrecked perils of water, robbers, in perils from his own countrymen, in perils from the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness, often in hunger and thirst, in fastings, often in cold and nakedness. And all those are light and momentary troubles. I... You know, when I get something happen to me, I go, oh, hey, what am I going to do now? And it's it's going to be the end of the world And where he goes, ah, shipwreck, no big deal. Ah, bitten by a snake, ah, just pull it off, throw it away. It's no big deal. And that's Paul's attitude. This is a light and momentary trouble that is achieving for him and others who minister with him an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. The way that this works, I believe, and scripture teaches this, the things we do for God are the things that are going to last, the things that will go on as far as treasure is concerned in heaven. Now, I think that treasure is a metaphor. You're not going to get to heaven and find rubies and gold and sapphires and and palatial estates where you would think of a palatial estate today you'd have a tesla in every single color you might have a rolls royce a maserati a pool a jacuzzi inside and outside you'd have tennis courts a bowling alley a movie theater and that's all inside of your house you'd have servants everywhere that's what we think of as treasures those physical treasures are not going to exist like that in heaven and and even the relationships you might treasure your marriage we're not going to have marriage in heaven and and sometimes that makes people sad but it's on the other hand it's like well what's it going to be like it's going to be so far beyond our comprehension here i don't think we can even begin to describe how good it is going to be eternally young Uh, i talked about mirrors. um Uh, how you look into a mirror and you feel you want to fix something that's what the law is remember a couple of weeks ago you won't ever have to look into the mirror because you know not in a prideful way I'm good you know, everyone, everyone is going to be perfect. And again, it's not in a prideful way. It's that God has done this. God has transformed everybody. And He is the one that gets the glory for all of that. And so all pride, all hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, envy, factions, divisions, all of those things are going to be gone. And everybody's going to be happy all the time. I don't know if there's going to be a constant smile on their face, but I know there's not going to be a frown. Like, why did He do that? You're not going to have that because everybody's going to know perfectly the will of God and always be able to accomplish perfectly the will of God perfectly. And and that's the way it's going to exist. And some people who are evil might say, well, that's so boring. I don't even think it's going to be close to being boring because you can't do something that's evil. The good things in life are what bring the memories. The bad things in life are what bring the despair, the suffering, all of that. If you could line up all the good things you have done in your life, all the thrill and action-packed things you could do in your life, it is not even going to compare. Can you remember the last time you maybe screamed, even as a guy? You screamed because something was just so great. You ah! it's so good. You know, a kid, when they get on a roller coaster for the first time, what are they doing? Screaming now they have these vomitorium of rides i I don't know what they are they spin and they go everywhere and that can be the ultimate for them have you ever seen kids in the slingshot ball that goes all the way up and all the way down half the people faint inside of those things as they're going up and down and that's the thrill for them in life the thrills that we're going to have when we get to heaven Uh, remember we're going to have a body like christ who transformed himself from place to place he just materialized we'll probably go up to each other i'll go petty let's go for a ride let's go to alpha centauri we're over at alpha centauri you know just like that it's it's going to be that kind of existence she's going to go cool and i'm going to go cool it's going to be a high five and isn't this great god is so good to us so that's the type of existence we're expecting not like here let me ask you have you been nervous about the election when you watch tv And you see the debates going on. Are you on pins and needles? Are they going to blow up? What's it going to say? Oh, we got a good one. What are you doing when you're watching that stuff? Or you're reading the news? Are you saying, I can't believe that somebody would believe this stuff. And just the anxiety that's there. Is this country full of anxiety right now? Oh, it is. And is there going to be violence? Probably somewhere. Are you worried about that? be like paul light and momentary suffering compared to the glory which is before us and and this idea the suffering that he's going through imagine in comparison and he does this he compares this in this passage of scripture here the momentary suffering that we have imagine taking a pair of tweezers and grabbing the smallest grain of sand that you can and putting that on a scale What would you use on the other side to compare to the glory that we are going to experience? Light and momentary suffering compared to the glory. Would you put a shot put on there compared to that little grain of sand? Would you put the earth on there compared to that grain of sand? Would you put the galaxy on there? See how far above it is? The light and momentary suffering on this side... We're not even going to remember it. It's not even going to come to mind. We are not going to be traumatized for it beyond this life. What is waiting us is going to be something so glorious that we will forget about all the troubles that we ever had here. Now going on with this, it says in verse 18, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen but on, on what is unseen for what is seen is temporary but what is unseen is eternal. What problem have you gone through that hasn't been temporary up to this point? Maybe uh, at some point when you were growing up in school, there was a love lost and you thought it was just going to be the end of everything and it lasted for months or even years. Or maybe the IRS came knocking at your door and you thought, how am I ever going to get out from underneath this? Or you lost a business or you lost a loved one. You lost a child or apparent something like that and the grief was just excruciating and so we don't fix our eyes on that because we know that that is temporary we fix our eyes on christ And philippians chapter 3 verse 13 second half says forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press towards the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. That's the King James Version. And so that, that's what it is. We forget about those things which we cannot change. We don't dwell on them. And, and that's why love in First Corinthians chapter 13, it keeps no track of wrongs committed against it. You forget about the past. You cannot change the past. So, the application of this first part here is we're supposed to be a witness while not giving heed to the hardships that we might endure, that they might be debilitating to us. Paul is making the case that his suffering produces a more effective ministry. And he keeps on stressing that in all of his letters, the way that he has endured in order to benefit others. The things in this life are to be considered temporary, and the things in the life to come are what are permanent. And it's a matter of surrendering to Christ in this. It, it's an attitude of the mind and the attitude of the heart. And everything that we uh, collectively might reach everyone, that's, that's what it is, surrendering, surrendering our lives to Christ so that we may benefit those who are around us. There is a song, I think you know this song, All to Jesus I surrender. All to him I freely give. I will ever love and trust him in his presence daily live. I surrender all. I surrender all. All to thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender all. All to Jesus I surrender. Humbly at his feet I bow. Worldly pleasures all forsaken. Take me, Jesus. Take me now. All to Jesus I surrender. Make me Savior, holy thine. Fill me with thy love and power. Truly know... That thou art mine, now I feel the sacred flame, oh joy, o oh full salvation, glory, glory, to his name that 's supposed to be our attitude. We surrender everything in in this life, not that we divest ourselves of all the possessions that we have, unless God calls us to do so, but more than likely he 's not going to do that, but we take everything, shove it to the side, and keep our eyes on Christ as we continue to move on now. Here's the good part. We, we went through the suffering that we're going to have to endure in life if we're going to be a witness for Christ, but then it gets good here in chapter 5. Now we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. So he's using a metaphor here. I'll continue and go back to this. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling. I just did that this morning, getting up. Because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. So this metaphor of a tent. Now, I have been in a tent Dozens and dozens of times I've been backpacking a lot. Uh, I've been in a single man tent. I've been in a two man tent. I've been in a four man tent. And the existence, you know, it's kind of fun. It's kind of exciting. We're going to do this, especially a one man tent. You're in there like a cocoon in a mummy bag, just all tightened up. But it's a temporary existence. I know when I'm laying in there and I wake up in the morning and you hit the tent and the dew from your breath falls on your face because it condenses on the inside of the tent that I'm going to be able to get out of this tent. And if the mummy bag isn't quite warm enough, you get cold during the night, it's only temporary because the sun is coming. And if the bear comes up and puts his head against your head, or puts his nose against your head, and snorts during the middle of the night, you know it's only temporary. I actually had that happen. We were in a a four-man tent. It was actually a three-man tent, but four of us were in there. It was in the middle of Yosemite. And my head was stuck up in the corner during the middle of the night. We're all, we're all finally sleeping. It's about two o'clock in the morning. And I feel this, it was a nose, came right up to the tent, put the nose on the tent, on my head, and snorted. Is what he did. I instantly woke up, flew out of that tent to see what it was. Of course, the bear was gone. They're so silent and they walked through the forest. But, I knew it was temporary. I was going to go to a place of safety, but I kept my head away from the edge of the tent the rest of the night. Uh, Also in the tent, you know, sufferings that we go through. One of the trips we went on, Patty, I don't know if you remember this. uh, There was a girl by the name of Tanya who is in uh, the tent next door. And we all rented sleeping bags and she rented a sleeping bag that hadn't been washed. And when she got... Into the tent, it was so bad, she couldn't sleep in the sleeping bag. We had to put the sleeping bag outside. When it was outside, if the wind was blowing just right, you could smell the sleeping bag coming through. And from this perspective now, it's a light and momentary suffering. Now, the sacrificial thing would have been to give her your own sleeping bag and suffer through the night, right? I was not that mature at that time. So... the. But it's in a tent, and you have this sleeping bag, and it's not ideal. And I know somebody else who wanted to put in a gas-burning heater inside of a tent. And I told the person, I want to wake up in the morning. We're not putting this inside the four-man tent. So there are hazards, there are temporary difficulties inside of a tent. We live in what Paul calls a tent. He was a tent maker. There are problems with tents. They can leak, water can get underneath them, a camel can get his nose under it, and then you have all kinds of problems. A camel getting his nose under the tent, and pretty soon he's on the inside. Our bodies, we have problems with these bodies. I've described them described them ad infinitum. But we groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling. So it goes from a tent to a house. That's what he's talking about here. He's not talking about one tent to another tent. What we have now is temporary. What we will have, it's going to be a solid structure, so to speak. Now, because of this, we don't want to be found. In, it's like be found naked. What he's referring to is like a disembodied spirit. When we die, our spirit goes to be with the Lord. He says, we we groan for this new body that we know that we're going to end up possessing and we don't want to be unclothed, not inside a body, so to speak, but we want to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling so that the mortal life may be swallowed up in the life we now possess, which is eternal. So there's suffering, troubles, and health issues. We groan because we want something better, a new dwelling, not a tent, but a permanent house. So salvation is not just for the soul but salvation is also for the body we're going to get a new body not just get rid of the old nature the old fallen sinful nature we're going to have only the new nature with a brand new body that's the transformation that is going to take place so we groan because this body has so many limitations compared to the superiority of the heavenly dwelling That final time when we go to the hospital or when we are on our deathbed, we can say that God has called us to get fitted for our new body. Now, I'm sure he is constructing it. We know John chapter 14 talks about that, and I'll get to that in a moment. But it is the purpose of God that we will have a new permanent dwelling, a new body, but he has placed his Holy Spirit in us, and he's living in us, in this tent so God says as I spoke before he placed himself in our tent in our clay vessels now when I recall the tent structures that I've been in there was this one almost military tent and I was inside and we were down in the desert over at the dunes and I can imagine being inside of that and I had this air mattress that deflated and it rained during the night and so I was laying in a puddle of water uh there and i didn't want to wake everybody else up to get out but i could imagine being in there in that tent and looking over and seeing jesus so to speak it's the holy spirit but sitting there in the corner of the tent okay, it's okay i'm right here everything's going to be fine even though you're wet and you're cold it's all going to be good and if i ever turned over he'd be sitting right there well god's inside of us and i think a lot of times we don't realize that god's in me well, how's that possible? I don't know I don't know how it's possible that the creator of the universe lives inside little old me and he has a relationship with me and usually he's always right there and I'm usually somewhere else I'm thinking about something else I'm not paying attention to him most of the time just because I have my flesh dwelling in me as well. And so God wants that all to change, and he lives inside of us. Now, some people say, well, where does he live? Is he in your liver? Can you take your liver apart? And there he is. Is he in your pancreas? Is he in your spleen? Is he in the muscle tissue? What about the blood? If I drain the blood and I look at it, is he in the blood? Where is he? You can't find him like that. It's like, where do we find you? Are you in the muscle is that where we find your actual soul? Is it right there? Is it in the blood? Scripture says life is in the blood. Well, you get the blood, you put it out on a clear petri dish, you look at it, you go, where am I in there? I can't see myself. We are completely spiritual in nature. You cannot find us, the essence of who we are, in the physical body. You cannot locate it. And so it's on another plane, another dimension altogether. Nobody can touch you. Nobody can sense you. If you were, except in this body, they can recognize you. That's a a, a, a modus operandi. That's where you are, and people see how you operate. But on the inside, they cannot dissect you. And that's the same thing with God. God is not in a muscle, a heart, a brain, but he is in us where we dwell. And that is a spiritual plane. So... we want to make sure that we are not unaware that we dwell with him. Scripture says we are seated with him in the heavenly realms. How do I understand that i I really can't it's it's so difficult, but when we get to heaven, all these questions, all these mysteries will be solved. So why would God want to live us and live in us and this is the mystery for me. It would be like me saying. I want to go live in a worm. Only a worm is much more advanced than me compared to God. No, I want to be, I want to dwell with a flea. No, I want to dwell with a gnat. No, more likely a fly. Now flies, filthy, dirty, stinking flies, they have their own um, purpose in this life. I know they get rid of decaying and, dead stuff and maggots and all of that and i don't mean to be too gross but it'd be like god says i want to go live in a maggot no i actually know a coach that called somebody a maggot all the time hey maggot and the the guy would come he was in wrestling anyhow that's a that's a whole nother story but Uh, that's what god did we are utterly harmful to ourselves and everyone else around us and god says i want to live in that I want to live in him. I want to live in her. That to me is a mystery. I, I don't get it. I don't understand it. I wish I could. Now intellectually, I get it. it it's in scripture. The theology's there. But in my heart, I'm going, why? Why? Why would he do that? And the only thing I can point to is theologically, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life because of love. I don't love flies, but God loves us. And so it it is a mystery to me, but I thank him that he does. And that brings about all that much more glory for him. Therefore, we are always confident and we know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. We live by faith, not by sight. Now, I've been asked a question several times this question is, in what form will we be after we die while we are waiting for a resurrected body? Because we are told we're going to get a new body and that the body is going to be resurrected and we are going to be reunited with that body. What happens between the time we die and the rapture of the church or for your uh, timeline, from the time we die to the rapture of the church? what happens in between there it says we go to be with the lord but what form are we going to take we it doesn't say we have our body at that particular point now there's a couple of explanations which are out there one i've given before is um, you guys remember what film strips are or what they were film strips hopefully you remember I remember in elementary school and sometimes they would be on automatic. They would have like a record play at the same time or a tape and it would click through automatically the film strip and they had to load the film strip and we went to this little room to watch these Nova film strips that would go by and oh, there's a nice... It's like slides. Slides all running together. Well, imagine if you took the film strip and it would come in a roll and you stretch it out just like a roll of film for a movie. And you see each frame at a time, like this, going all the way through. God sees us like, okay, this is when Bill dies, and this is the rapture of the church where he's reunited with his body. But God is outside of the film strip. So which point does he look at first? He doesn't. He looks at both. They're at the same time. Why did God create time so everything doesn't happen all at once? You know, that's why he divided it into sections and time is a physical property. It isn't something that is in heaven like we understand time. And so it could be when Bill dies and the rapture of the church, they both happen at the same time and I get my resurrected body as soon as I go to be with the Lord. Does it work out that way? I don't know. It's kind of confusing. If you want to listen to somebody more on that, listen to William Lane Craig, you know, maybe you can get some information from that. That's a really complicated view of what it might be like. I think there's probably a simpler view. John chapter 14 says, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you, I'm going there to prepare a place for you. Not a body for you, but a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back to take you to be with me that you also may be where i am you know the way to the place where i'm going so god had jesus his son go to heaven to prepare a place for us to dwell now if we're thinking in a lineal fashion we die we go to that place not being disembodied or naked so to speak in spirit but we have a place we have a dwelling i don't know what that dwelling is like The king james talks about it being a mansion it's going to be a glorious place, whatever you might imagine a mansion to be. That's what it's going to be. So it could be that we die, we go to the mansion, rapture happens, reunited with the body. It could be like that. I think that's a simpler explanation. Uh, it probably works, but I know this God isn't not fretting, saying, you know, I forgot that detail i 've got to write down the, what am I going to do about this? So many people have died, and they could be floating around just disembodied spirits and I, I want to make sure they have some place to dwell and bring them all he 's not fretting like that. He has the plan he 's not going to have to round up all the spirits. okay, get back in those bodies he 's not going to have to do that he 's got it all covered. So we don't need to worry and fret. And a few have worried about that. Like, what's going to happen to me? Am I, I going to be okay? We belong to God. He's got everything covered. So it's a life of trust. And that's what we're told in verse 7. We live by faith and not by sight. And that's exactly what it means if you say, but I don't know what's going to happen to me when I get to heaven. You say, I know God. He's got it covered there's no issue with this he's got everything down to the slightest detailed all prepared for us and so paul says after that we are confident i say and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the lord do you think if he is fretting about being a disembodied or naked spirit which is out there he'd say hey, i'd rather be with the lord well what does that mean exactly it's a place of bliss it's a place of harmony it's a place of love verse 9 says so we make it our goal to please him whether we are at home in the body or away from it and see again his motivation it's heaven it's not anything here we perform a function here carrying the gospel being ministers of the gospel of jesus christ ministering to those with encouragement a word of wisdom a word of encouragement All of that we're supposed to be doing. If we isolate ourselves, we are not doing that. So we have to be in communication. We have to be in fellowship. We have to be in relationship with those who are around us. And it is our goal, supposed to be our goal, just like Paul's in verse 9 here, to please God in every single way in whatever we do. And so it should be our habit, and believe me, I fail at this as well, When you wake up in the morning, say, good morning, Lord. It's wonderful to be alive. I pray that you would order my day today. And during the day, you ask for wisdom in your drive. You ask for wisdom when you speak to others. If you're retired and you go to the store, you ask for wisdom uh, not to have somebody go ballistic on you because you're not wearing a mask or if you are wearing a mask uh, somebody who comes up to you and says you shouldn't be wearing the mask is god would give you wisdom how to live your life here to be a witness for him and so the application of this particular section of scripture we're not finished with the chapter yet but we're going to end it here because there's other things to follow Because suffering enhances the work of ministering, we should never fear it. If suffering comes along just like Paul experienced it, what did he call it? Light and momentary suffering. We eventually will die if the Lord does not come back in our lifetimes for the rapture. And we must remember we'll get a new body, not fret about what kind of body we'll have if we expire before the rapture. And that body is far superior to what we dwell in at this time. We, or excuse me, when we die, our location tra- changes. We get a new address, but we'll be in heaven with Christ. But we still exist. And just by way of reminder, every human that has ever been born or created, Adam and Eve were created, will exist forever in a conscious state it never ends it's just are we going to dwell with christ in heaven or are we going to dwell in hell in darkness in weeping and gnashing of teeth in torment all of those things are in hell there's only two places and i think most all of you know this but it's communicating it to others we need to make sure we have our doctrine our theology down Uh, Paul told Timothy, if he watches his life and doctrine closely, he'll save not only himself, but his hearers as well. And so when we die, our location does change, and there's only two places to go. Uh, We get this new address. For those who believe, it is in heaven with Christ. For those who don't, it is what is called in the Old Testament, the grave or Sheol, and that is not the final resting place. The final resting place is Gehenna, that is the lake of fire, and that is after the great white throne judgment. So we don't want to be mistaken or have others be mistaken about what happens to us after we die. Now because we get a new body, life everlasting, eternal bliss, we should seek to please Jesus in everything that we do. This should be our goal according to verse 9 that we just read. There should be no other motivation for doing anything or everything that we seek to do on the face of the earth and again i'm just going to reiterate there is only one other thing this is only available to those who have given their life to christ this is not available to those who reject christ and reject the gospel if you remember in acts chapter 16 the philippian jailer paul was there And there was an earthquake in the Philippian jailer. If you lost a prisoner, if a prisoner escaped, they were going to kill you as a soldier because you let your prisoners get away. And, of course, he was going to do that. And Paul called out and said, don't. We are here. Everything is fine. And he ran in and he said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And he said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, both you and your household. And so that's the encouragement. Those who accept Christ, those who submit to him, they go and get the promises, the new body, God dwelling in us, the dwelling place in heaven, uh, the, the heavenly structure or the house which lasts forever, that's the new body. And those who don't, they are destined for destruction or eternal torment according to Matthew 25 and Daniel chapter 12. And so that's the message that we want to carry with us. That is the gospel. The good news is we can avoid the second and hold on to the former. That's what we need to tell everybody. Now, if they look at us and say, you are absolutely crazy. Why do you believe in that stuff that was written so long ago in that Bible that you hold to, written by so many different authors and there's so many contradictions in it? You should have a reason for the hope that lies within you as well to give an answer To everyone who asks you. Now if they just want to argue with you, you move on to the next person. But please make sure you're doing that. And I gave you an encouragement last week about somebody, there's somebody that you know that needs the gospel. Relative, friend, other family member, close family, uh, relative. Just keep praying about them. You need to talk to them. You need to let them know about the saving grace of jesus christ for this is our commission go into all the world and make disciples baptizing them in the name of the father son and holy spirit and with god's help we will do so let's pray father we thank you for the encouraging words from paul that we get this new body this body that is just going to last forever no more pain suffering sorrow no more tears it will just be eternal bliss from here on out lord And we ask that you would help us to keep that in focus, that we never take our eyes off of the goal, the prize, which is Jesus Christ himself. And Father, we turn to you and we ask for your forgiveness for opportunities missed, the ones we didn't take advantage of, or a life that is not encouraging to others. We failed in so many ways, but we thank you that you have chosen to live in us, clay pots or flies, as it were, it is only because your grace and your love towards us lord that we continue and we thank you for your faithfulness to show us that your word is true so father bless the rest of this day and the week ahead please put your words in our hearts that we may speak them out of our mouths in jesus name and the church said Amen. amen